heavily, I'm a clown. What's going on guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Bitcoin Echo Chamber, the show about Bitcoin and Bitcoin crop circles. Had my friend Gigi back on the show today for round two. If you didn't hear the first conversation I had with Gigi, you should go check that out. That was episode 22 of the Bitcoin Echo Chamber when I had him on first time around. Really enjoyed talking to him, so I wanted to get him back on the show. He got a little existential on me, and we also had some audio issues. Thankfully, I do a redundant recording of the audio, so if you notice some parts in the middle where one of us cuts out for a little bit, and then the audio gets a little janky, that only lasts for about a minute or two, and then it'll go back to the other audio, which sounds much better quality. But let's get to it, and I will come back and talk with you guys at the end. This episode of the Bitcoin Echo Chamber podcast is sponsored by WTFHappenedIn1971.com. The economics meme taking the world by storm where all of us are trying to find out the answer to what the heck happened in 1971. WTF1971 also has a merch store now. You can find it at WTF-1971.creator-spring.com. I'll post a link to that down in the show notes if you want to check it out. Thanks for the support. Gigi, how are you, man? Yeah, I'm doing fine. How are you, Colin? I'm doing very good. I'm welcome back to the echo chamber. Yeah, thanks for having me back. I'm very much looking forward to this conversation. Since it's the Bitcoin echo chamber, it's pretty much family here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, and uh, in our pre-chat that we were having before we hit record, you were getting all existential on me. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I <laughs> I talked to CK Snarks uh, like two days ago or so, and he was in Riga as well, and I was in, in Riga at the Baltic Honey Badger Conference. And I jokingly referred to it as my religious experience, even though it's only half joking. But CK said it was actually a sexual experience I had. So, yeah, it's it, it was it's a very existential thing that happened to me. <laughs> I, and you sent me a copy of your notes here, and I don't, I don't know what I'm looking at. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know how to describe it to the listeners, but it's essentially, um, I don't know if I would call it like a continuum or a circle of ideas. Um, maybe yeah, maybe you could explain it better than I could. <laughs> yeah, with like I had something like an epiphany in Riga, but it's really hard to put in, into words so I started drawing stuff and what I drew actually it looks like uh, it's a big circle made up of smaller circles and it kind of looks like a very old cartoonish mirror and um, that was the image that I had in my brain for like uh, yeah probably two weeks and I'm still I'm still recovering from this experience so I'm still I'm still kind of a little bit fucked up in the head, but I was very fucked up in the head <laughs> for for a week or two. And it was basically because I was so sleep deprived um, that my brain just went into overdrive and started making connections that I didn't see previously. And um, one of those connections was that Bitcoin basically already won and nobody really knows it. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I think that that's... Uh that might be a good point. I, I think that we're all in the process of slowly discovering that Bitcoin is winning and has already won. <laughs> yeah, I think, like, I was super bullish on Bitcoin um, before that happened to me, like, before my sexual experience with Hasmik Hook. So first first shout out to Hass. 
that this one's for you, buddy. <laughs> and um, in a sense, it's very hard to um, look at exponential changes and decide one point in time where it actually happened, where the thing took over or where, where it won. Like I, um, in, one, in the last one of my lessons, in the 21 lessons, the very last one, uh, is called metaphors for Bitcoin's future. And I take the internet as a metaphor for Bitcoin since it's also a network. And as as far as I can tell, the, the, the internet, it takes everything that can be converted to value and it just eats it up. Like if, if your business model, uh, I said value, didn't I? I mean information since we're talking about the internet. <laughs> so if your business model is um, touching something that can be converted into pure information, like, you know, audio, video, text, stuff like that, news, <laughs> then the internet will eat your business model up and it will go via the internet. And that's why we have Spotify, we have YouTube, we have podcasts, we have Netflix. Like, physical media don't make sense anymore. Um, Blockbuster is dead for a reason. And mm -hmm. We are living in a world now where the internet obviously took over, but looking back, it's re really hard to tell when it actually happened. And the same is with mobile computing and smartphones. Like we're living in a world now where obviously smartphones took over. I guess most of the listeners currently, they are listening via the smartphone. It's, it's just like most web traffic, everything happens on your phone. If you're out and about, you just take your phone. You're not going home, sitting in front of your computer and just looking up stuff. You do it on right on your phone. Right. And just looking back, it, it, it happened in the last 12 years because the iPhone was introduced like 12 years ago. Mm -hmm. But exactly when it pinpointing when it happened is so hard to do that you just can kind of in retrospect guess when it happened. And I would say it was probably I don't know, maybe four or five years ago, something like that, the smartphone revolution and the internet revolution, since it mm -hmm. went a bit slower, I don't know, it, <laughs> it it was sometime in the last 20 years and maybe it was 10 years ago, I don't know. It's, I'm, I'm just guessing basically, I'm just guessing numbers. Maybe it was 15 years ago where you could say the internet already took over. And for Bitcoin, I think it will be similar or it is similar. We're living through it right now and we're 10 years in and I think like I, I always say my time horizon right now is nine years, but let's just take 10 years since it's a nice round number. And I always say nine because in the next nine years we will have three halvings and we only had two so far. So <laughs> speaking, right. speaking in halvings, we're not very far into Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. This thing is still very young. It is, it is. Like if you, if you look back now, it's 10 years old. And if you compare it on the timeline um, with the, just the reward errors. So the reward error will end approximately in, in the year 2140. Um, the, the bootstrapping phase of Bitcoin is the reward error. So the block subsidy reward bootstraps the network. So the bootstrapping phase ends officially in the year 2140. And we are only 13% in now with the 10 year, um, the 10 years we have passed us. Like I'm, I'm speaking on a time basis. So speaking in block time and also in year time, we were only 13% in with bootstrapping the network. But still it's really hard to say because it's not like it bootstraps and then it's done. At some point in the future, the, um, the block sub subsidy won't be the main reason why minus my new block, it will be the fee market and the, the fee market will take over. And um, because 
I'm with then held uh, that who says that Bitcoin's security model is fine. And we saw that in 2017, actually, that the fees shot through the roof. So mm -hmm. I think as soon as there is, yeah, so that was weird. I yeah. usually don't have power outages. So that, that, that's the universe trying to tell me something, I guess. So mm. maybe the networks aren't as resilient as I think. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. <laughs> well, are, are, we, are we still live? Are you recording? Yeah, I'm still recording. So yeah. uh, we'll, we'll just, I'll, I'll mention in the pod that we had a power outage. Yeah, that's fine. I'll just, let's just power through it. Sure. Just, are you running your, your end again? You're recording? Yes, yes okay. I'm recording. All right. Well, then we're back from uh, a quick technical difficulty on, on Geeky's and <laughs> yeah. we had a power outage. But uh, we were talking about uh, the exponential growth of, of the internet and then the smartphone. And now we're at this new paradigm of money, uh, which yeah, the internet exactly. made possible. And, and you were pontificating on, on exponential changes. Yeah. <laughs> so I think the world is moving way quicker than most people realize, even though power outages are still a thing and just the whole block was dark for like 30 seconds or something. It's really weird. Like never, never happened. <laughs> never, never happens usually. But um, I, I think that people just take everything we have for granted because everything works so well. Like everyone takes smartphones for granted and just uh, the fact that everyone is always online all the time is just taken for granted as well. Like I still remember a time where being online was a special thing and you would notify everyone when you would go offline and you would say that either you're going AFK or you'll be offline until, I don't know, two days or something. And <laughs> now, nowadays, the, this whole concept doesn't exist anymore because everyone is just online and reachable all the time. I mean, I'm not saying it's a good or bad thing. I'm just observing what, what's hap happening in the world hmm. in a way. And what, what I think is currently happening in Bitcoin is obviously Bitcoin works. Like it's... I'm, I'm not making any judgment if it will work uh, indefinitely in the future, but up to now it worked beautifully. Like every 10 minutes, w w uh, new blocks are generated and the network just keeps spewing out and keeps generating new blocks. And that's also why I believe that viewing Bitcoin as a living organism is really helpful because in a way Bitcoin is bigger than, it's bigger than you, it's bigger than me, it's bigger than all of us. It's its own thing. And since it can pay humans and companies to keep it alive and it, it incentivizes everyone to keep it alive, it's kind of a force of it on its own, like it's a force of nature. And um, I, what, what I realized is that, I, or I'm not sure if it's a realization, <laughs> like my brain is still a little bit broken, so take everything I say with a huge grain of salt. <laughs> But what what I observe is that people are stuck in different stages with Bitcoin. So some people are still stuck with the idea. So yeah, Bitcoin is like, it's the right idea, but we have to do it in a better way. So they're trying to create new systems. They're trying to create new blockchains or new projects or, or whatever. And other people are maybe stuck in the finance world and they think Bitcoin is just an asset and they ignore that it's an, an open network and they ignore that it's a messaging system for value and uh, they, they're just stuck trading. <laughs> 
and others are maybe stuck in the implementation and code world and they are very afraid that bitcoin will die because they they actually know all the problems with the code and uh, they are very hesitant to say that bitcoin works well or that bitcoin is resilient or that bitcoin can't be killed because they actually know that um, the code isn't actually very beautiful or pro proven to work like you have some computer languages where you can actually prove mathematically that everything is correct and bitcoin isn't like that at all it's it's way more like a living thing it's it it works because it lives and it lives <laughs> it lives because it pays people to keep it alive and everything is kind of weirdly interconnected and it's just its own beast but even like everyone is saying that bitcoin solves the byzantine generals problem and it does but it does so in a practical way like it doesn't probably solves it like it, it only solves it almost like probabilistically you know it's, right, it's, right it's almost kind of a hack yeah exactly it's a very hacky way just like biology does it you know suddenly i don't know like dinosaurs for whatever reason they develop feathers and then you have so many steps in that evolution that uh suddenly you have birds that fly and you have small things that glide through the air and have feathers for whatever reason you know maybe it was sexual selection at first but now we have birds and bitcoin in a similar way it just it, the idea was good enough like bitcoin is the right idea i think and the code the first version was good enough and everything went from there and now we have evolution upon evolution and uh, the code gets better every day like i'm blown away by the speed um of development uh, on the base chain and also on higher layers like lightning network it feels like yesterday when it was just a proposal and i think now the first implementation went live it was like two years ago or something or one and a half years ago i, I don't mm -hmm. remember exactly but it's approximately right mm -hmm. and i mean i i'll be at the berlin lightning conference uh, next week and i saw some of the demos already and it's just insane what people were able to build in such a short amount of time you know and mind you most of them just did it because they can because fuck it i'm gonna build a vending machine or i'm gonna build a thing that feeds chickens <laughs> <laughs> it's it's insane how yeah how fast everything moves and um to go back to the idea that people are stuck in certain areas of bitcoin like you have people that are stuck on the code people that are stuck in the finance world people are stuck on the um yeah, even even you've even people that are stuck on the money side. Like if you think Bitcoin is gold 2.0, and and you are a gold bug, you might be very apocalyptic and are stuck on the money side in that way that you think everything will go to shit and the only thing that will appreciate is Bitcoin and you have to stack and hold as much as you can. And mind you, I believe that as well, you know. <laughs> but it's yeah. still it's it's still only one one way to view Bitcoin. Because uh, what I think um, is currently happening is that people realize that this is a social movement as well. Like there are so many people that share the same idea and think that Bitcoin is the, the, the right thing to focus on. And it's um, 
And also, mind you, everything is kind of interconnected. But you have, for example, the Bitcoin plebs or Bitcoin plebs, as American hodl like, like to call them. <laughs> I'm not sure what is the right pronunciation. But you have the Bitcoin plebs and uh, you have Bitcoin Twitter and you have just uh, obviously... A I lost you for a second there, but I hear you again. Ah, sorry. Um, so you have some people that are obviously stuck in the social movement and they are just, they're just in a us versus them mentality and they um yeah they're stuck on the idea that bitcoin first and foremost is a social thing and we all have to be hardcore maximalists or, or whatever for it to work and all of that is kind of right like every 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 group of people has the right idea but i think that bitcoin is all of that and also more and yeah that's that's basically um <laughs> the conclusion I arrived at and the, the reason for that um, the reason why I think it's also more is that um, I, I believe that um, I lost my train of thought kind of but I, I believe in a way that the shorthand version of that what I'm trying to say is that the rabbit hole is circular and you can go um, from camp to camp to camp and in the end you will end up at the idea level again and i think the step from the social movement to the idea level goes via something that is most people call it a cult but i would call it a cult slash religion and i think that uh, bitcoin religion is a real possibility and will be a real thing in the next 10 years or so interesting and when you say religion um what what to what end? Uh, what what does that actually mean? You know, we know when I think of religion in the traditional sense, it's how man tries to understand the universe. Um, in in what ways does Bitcoin influence that understanding? Well, in it's it's a good question. Um, like it's it's a very good question that that you ask. Like, what actually is a religion, or what should be viewed as a religion? because there are multiple definitions for that and you can view religion as something that is made out of uh, is made up of rituals for example like ritualistic um, things and also dogmatic beliefs and i think we have that in bitcoin and i'm not sure if you um, read uh, any of your uh, yuval them what's his name I, I'm blanking on the name now, but he wrote uh, Sapiens and he wrote, he wrote Homo Deus, Yuval Harari, that's his name. And he gives a very broad definition of religion, which I actually, I kind of like, even though I kind of disagree with it. But in his point of view, something like uh, capitalism is a religion as well. You believe in the invisible hand of the market and uh, you believe that capitalism is the, the best thing to organize a society for example and you could also say that for example star wars is a religion because they have very strict beliefs in a way <laughs> you could say that only the first three movies are actually star wars movies everything else you can't forget about it and you have splintering groups and we see all of that in bitcoin as well like you have uh, the toxic maximalists you have people that are uh, monetary maximalists but find other ideas interesting maybe <laughs> and so it, it kind of splinters into groups um, in the way that 
how it helps to understand the universe. I truly believe that Bitcoin can be viewed as a living organism. And to quote Hasma Cook, like Bitcoin is nature. And I think that's kind of true as well. Like if you go down to it, Bitcoin is Bitcoin's anchor. And the reason why it can be digitally scarce is that it is energy. Like to for the system to work, you have to burn energy. And that's what anchors it in the real world. And so it's it's the same the same thing is happening on our planet with living things. Like every living thing needs energy to work, and um, so there's no way to cheat the system. That's why it's a natural system and a natural growing system. To contrast it, maybe our current fiat economy is not a natural system because you can print money out of thin air, and whenever you do that, you distort what is given by natural law and so understanding the current economy i would say is almost impossible because it goes against nature so nothing really makes sense and now you have for example negative interest rates which don't make sense at all like your money doesn't appreciate it depreciates if you uh, give it to a bank and if you take out a loan you're actually getting extra money because you're taking out a loan so <laughs> it's it's kind of weird how um, the fact that you're building up a system that goes against nature stops to make sense. And on the other hand, in my worldview, Bitcoin makes a lot of sense. So to answer your question, how it helps to, how it, how a Bitcoin religion might help to understand the universe is that Bitcoin is nature and everything that happens in Bit Bitcoin has to happen and has to work according to natural law. And you can kind of see it that way. But... I don't really believe that religions exist to study the universe. Let's put it that way. They definitely exist to make sense of things. But I think that people definitely need to believe in something. So why not believe in Bitcoin? <laughs> mm. It's interesting that you say um, that fiat sort of bucks the trend of the natural order because if you look up the english definition of fiat it actually just means by order or decree um yes. and and that's interesting because nothing in nature uh, exists by decree uh, it all exists uh, in in confidence of the natural order and maybe that natural order is a decree that's of a higher order of understanding than ours you know maybe there is uh mm -hmm. you know i believe that there's a being uh, that that is orders of magnitude higher than myself that that has perhaps issued that natural order but uh, whether or not you believe that or not isn't really relevant to this conversation because the bitcoin system exists outside of a decree there's there's nobody mm -hmm. standing standing along that says hey uh this is how we must do it and and this is how we will execute uh it, it's an entity that continues to exist and seeks out its own uh sustenance outside of any uh, fiat decree right and that that's a really interesting observation yeah and i think that um independent of that we have a lot of things that could be the that form the basis of a religion i mean we have the white paper which is religious text <laughs> we have the creator god that is satoshi who disappeared we have bitcoin itself which is everywhere and nowhere like if you study bitcoin really hard you realize that bitcoin doesn't really exist like bitcoins don't really exist 
and the ledger is in every physical location and uh, Bitcoin like the Bitcoin you hold is actually like nowhere you know it's in the blockchain or it's uh, it's shared everywhere like you have some really weird parallels to most religions just just because of that and also the fact that for example the supply is divinely preordained and this is a direct quote from Hasma Cook so I'm channeling my um, I'm channeling a lot of other people those are not necessarily my original ideas but you know it's it's bitcoin so everything just is shared anyway <laughs> out in the open and it's it's kind of weird how all of this works together and now we now we see rituals forming we see rituals like proof of keys for example we see rituals like stacking sets we see the idea of salvation like hyper bitcoinization once it happens and you have a couple million sets or something or even a couple thousand sets then you're good because most people are not bitcoin woke yet and if you saw the light <laughs> and you got woke soon enough then you will be saved and that's basically a, res a recipe for a religion and um, i think even though most people just joke about it um, i i see a real possibility of something approximating a religion forming in the next 10 years or so interesting yeah and also the maybe another observation the predecessor of a religion is often a cult or a sect and i think everyone can agree that bitcoin maximalism is very cultish and a lot of people just drink water and eat meat <laughs> mm -hmm. so cults and religions always have dietary restrictions or most of the time have dietary restrictions and so all these observations really sent my brain into overdrive and suddenly everything made sense and i'm i'm actually back at square one i'm i'm not even though i'm i still consider myself a maximalist because it's the label that that fits best but i'm um like i see myself as someone who's just observing the space and writing about it and um i'm I probably won't be part of the religion or the cult. <laughs> like full disclosure, I tried eating just meat for a month or so, and it just wasn't for me. And mm. I, I'm I, I'm an omnivore. <laughs> well, I'm right there with you on that. Yeah. Uh, please, please don't kill me, Saifedi. Yeah. No, there, there are a lot of things I could add to that discussion that uh, probably wouldn't win me a whole lot of points in that community, <laughs> but I don't really care about that. Um, yeah. But, you know, you raise a good point. I mean, aren't, aren't there a difference between... Um, well, you know, there's so many different ways you can think about religion. Um, and, and like you said, religion is a different things to a lot of different people. Um, and, and I, I think it maybe more so boils down to, uh, how you perceive the, the world around you, uh, as to how you're going to see religion or how you're going to perceive, um, certain religious ideals that you might adopt. I mean, for me, my experience of the world is generally based on priori understanding, right? Logical deduction. Anything yeah. that I find to be self-evident, I take that and I work upwards from it. Um, and, and any conclusions that I make, I try to arrive at logically. Uh, and, and, and that's what I mean by priori logical deduction, right? Um, mm -hmm. So, it, and, and I think you can do that with, uh, with religions. I think you can do that with... Um, cults um and and maybe it's interesting because traditionally we think of a cult as being very destructive um because people are often 
following certain ideas um, that might not necessarily be indicative of their own best interest uh, for whatever those reasons might be you know humans are complex creatures and we we can never really know why they act the way they act we just know that they act and that they often act in whatever given point in time they believe is in their best interest uh, and and they might prefer one thing over another but we can never know why they might prefer that one thing over another uh, and and we're, we're curious creatures like that yeah exactly um, it's it's funny because um, if you study Bitcoin hard enough, you kind of um, learn that as well. Because what you said is um, perfectly well explained in the Austrian uh, school of thought. That um, what like different people value things differently, and um, they have different goals, so they will act accordingly to achieve those goals. But what might be valuable to one person might be of no value to another person. Mm -hmm. And I want to point out another thing that you said that really made me laugh. <laughs> you said that religion is different things to different people. And I hear in the space all the time that Bitcoin is different things to different people. And I believe this to be profoundly true. Because if you studied computer science, it might be an interesting computer network or it might be interesting computer code. If you're a trader, it's something you trade. If you are a, f a, f a fintech person, then it's obviously a, f a, a fintech thing. And if you, you know, if you spend 90% of your waking hours on Reddit or other social networks, it's obviously a social movement to you. So Bitcoin is like a, a big mirror. And that's coming back to the image I had in my head the last couple of weeks is uh, it reflects back at you what you think of the world and how you view the world. And I think it's profoundly true that Bitcoin is different things to different people. But I think it's also true what you said, that obviously religion is different things to different people. But, and, yeah. but, but at what point uh, is the emergence of a natural order? Uh, at what point is it considered religion, right? Because there are a lot of uh, emergences in the natural <laughs> order that we can observe, right? I mean, everybody, yeah. every living organism, and, and you say that Bitcoin is a living organism, every living organism has to eat, right? You eat, I eat, everybody I know yeah. eats. We all have to breathe. We all have to drink. Uh, we all yeah. engage in certain social interactions. We all do certain things and have certain rituals, and those are just an emergence an emergence of yeah. our existence in the natural order. And if Bitcoin is an emergence in this natural order, is it really a religion or is it just is it just a thing that exists I, alongside our um, physical, biological understandings of the the atoms shaking around us? I, I have a very pragmatic answer to that question. And that is, as soon as Bitcoiners are tax exempt, I think it's a religion because <laughs> that, that would be the goal to <laughs> create a religion to be um, fully immune to taxation, as most religions are in, in the US and in other in other countries. But I think what you said about the living thing is, uh, or, or what living things do, that's an interesting question. I wrote about that at length, like in my proof of life article, I looked at the definition, the scientific definition of living things. And Bitcoin fits the bill as far as I can tell perfectly. So it it's, it's not even a stretch to say that Bitcoin is alive because it's, 
uh, it ex exhibits all the characteristics. And you can maybe say that Bitcoin behaves like a virus. And mm -hmm. there's like 50% of scientists say that viruses are not alive, but there, the other 50%, like most of the virologists will tell you that viruses are, of course, they are alive. And uh, it's, it's funny how emergent phenomena, they don't have like emergent phenomena, just like exponential things. There's not one point in time, there's not one line where you can say, okay, now this thing, for example, is wet. Like if you have one H2O molecule, one water molecule, you, you will not say that this is wet. Mm -hmm. When does it start? You know, it doesn't start at 10, it doesn't start at 100. You need a couple million or billion of them, but you can't really tell the exact moment in time where, when a rag gets wet. And I think you can't really tell when something is alive. I would say that Bitcoin is above the threshold and i would say that bitcoin as a whole is alive and that's also not necessarily a new idea because you have super organisms um or you can take the view of um for example you can take the view uh, that the technosphere is alive like if you look at an ant col colony what is part of the ant colony? Like, is the the buildings they build is it part of the ant colony? It's an is it a natural thing? And you could also, if you take the human body for example, are your nails alive or not? What if you clip them? You know, is your hair alive? And what if you clip your hair and the the, the stuff that's falling to the ground is that still alive or not? It's it's made out of living cells or at least the cells did live, and so everything is kind of fuzzy around the edges. Mm -hmm. And I think the same is true for religion. I mean, again, Bitcoin maximalism obviously is a cult. Like everyone is joking about it, but it obviously is. Like as as you also said, you self censor yourself with certain opinions because uh, there's just no use of of discussing this publicly because some people on Twitter will freak out. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm exaggerating, of course. Yeah, I'm exaggerating. Yeah. And for but me, it's more like, um, <laughs> you know, I don't even, there's certain things that I don't think really add value uh, to the discussion because I'm here to, to talk about a particular phenomenon. Um, and yeah, of course. there's a lot of nuance to things uh, and there's a lot of confirmation bias and, uh, Generally, I'm the type of person that doesn't like to jump to conclusions because when I do, I often find myself getting in trouble um, yeah. because I'm sooner or later I'm presented with evidence um, that that confirm my uh, strong opinion is rightfully weakly held because yeah. <laughs> there's there's so much that I don't know and and um, you know it, it's like the old adage goes that the more you know, the less you don't know. Yeah, or the and more you know, the yeah. True. I think that that's, <laughs> I think that's right. <laughs> I I think that's true. And the more I'm you big, know, the, the more you don't know. There you go. Exactly, and I I'm a big fan of strong opinions, uh, weekly held, and I'm prepared to be wrong about everything. Like I'm, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I don't really believe I'm I'm wrong about Bitcoin in that way. That I I think Bitcoin, first of all, it's the right idea, and I think that Bitcoin will outlive me. So. But if if the Bitcoin network dies next week and can't recover, so be it. I I will have to find something else to work on in my life. But even that, I believe not to be true because I think there are enough smart people convinced of this idea that it will be reborn reborn in some way, shape, or form. And still, if the religion doesn't form, for example, in the next ten years, I'm. It, I was wrong. It, it doesn't really matter to me, you know. I'm just, I'm just trying to discuss this idea I had, because for me, 
the thing that I also realized is um, that the conviction levels of Bitcoiners is so insanely high, it's very hard to believe. I'm very convinced of this idea and I risked everything for this idea. Like I quit my very stable, well-paying job one and a half years ago and I just decided to, I, first of all, I decided to travel the world because I had no idea what I was going to do. But second of all, I kind of knew that I had to do Bitcoin full-time no matter what. And so I risked, I, I, I risked my, like my whole financial safety, my reputation, I risked my relationship because I wasn't sure if my girlfriend at the time was on board. <laughs> so I, I I was willing to risk pretty much everything I had for this idea. And there are so many people like me, it's really hard to believe. And the reason why it's hard to believe is that I think in the social movement part of it, it's still very mild. Most Bitcoiners are still closet Bitcoiners and they are in hiding. And maybe they have very good reason to. It's just like, uh, I, I like to compare it to the gay movement. Like if, if you're gay and you're um, living in the, in the Emirates, for example, it's, it's not smart to come out of the closet. Like you will just be jailed or killed or, or worse. And I think Bitcoiners, some Bitcoiners are in similar circumstances where it just wouldn't be smart to talk about it ever. And maybe they will have to wait for one or two more waves and then they can maybe move to another country but on the other hand there are people like american hodel <laughs> that just don't give a fuck <laughs> and they're just rich and very privileged in, in the way that they are living in a free country and they are, can talk freely about it and if you meet one or two or three american holes it's kind of insane how um how convinced people are that Bitcoin is the right idea. And I'm convinced of that as well. So I, I would count myself into that group. The only difference between me and American Hodel is that he is super rich and I'm not. I'm, ju I'm just privileged, mm. but that's enough. I'm privileged enough that no matter what I do, I can work on Bitcoin full time because I, I won't be starving in the street. Like I, I have too nice of a family, too many friends and too vast, uh, like too broad a skill set. I, I could just work 10 or 20 hours a week and do the rest, like do 40 or 50 hours Bitcoin full time. And I think it's, to me, it's like um, the passage in the Bible that talks about the mustard seeds, you know, like mm -hmm. the seeds are invisible, but just wait until, until they sprout and just it feels to me that we are in the mustard seed stage. Like Bitcoiners are all across the world. And it, f it also feels to me that the regular financial world is going to shit as we speak. Yeah, and yeah. The, all the Bitcoiners all, all across the world, they have the right idea. They know how to fix it. They're just waiting for the right moment. And the right moment, I think it will come in the next one or two years. I think the next wave will be insane and of course everything will crash and burn again and it, it will be very similar than the hype cycle in 2017. It, I think it will just be way bigger. Like your mind will explode big <laughs> because in 2017 most of the people that were around for a little while they thought that's it. Now we're in hyper Bitcoinization and it happened and the price is just never going down again. And of course that was wrong and I think it, I think the price will go down with the next hype cycle as well. It's definitely possible. Um, you know, some of the descriptions that you gave there um, about your own experiences and um, giving up everything and all of your comfort and security and, and going on because you just knew you had to work. You had to work in Bitcoin. Um, 
It's interesting because you had mentioned about uh, Bitcoin being a living organism by your definition and this idea of potentially it being a virus. That that sounds exactly like what a virus does to a lot of things or maybe not even a virus, maybe. Um, but th there seems to be a certain... Uh, it almost is like Bitcoin in this way is using you as a symbiotic host to its uh, to a, as a means to its own end, right? I mean, yeah. you're you're benefiting from this technology, um, from from utilizing the properties that this code harnesses in such a beautiful way um, to make certain ends more viable for you and in your physical existence. But at the same time, uh, this this. Uh, being so consumed by this thing that you've deemed to be so important, uh, right? And I've deemed it to be important as well. I think that Bitcoin is probably one of the most important technological phenomenons in my lifetime, if not on a grander scale than that. Um, but you're you're so consumed by this thing that you're acting almost as a host for this organism, right? I mean, you you espouse of it to other people. Uh, you're willing to sacrifice some of your comfort just to help build upon it, help to expand its reach and influence, to help make it more resilient, uh, less fragile in whatever ways that you can contribute. And in a way, anybody who gets uh, bitten by the Bitcoin bug, so to speak, becomes a host for the virus. Um, yeah. And, and, and oh, sorry, just one thing real quick. I've been yeah, thinking this, you know, it, there's all these scientists that are working all around the world, uh, particularly computer scientists in an attempt to try to create um, artificial intelligence. And, and a lot of it's bunk, you know, a lot of it's really uninteresting because all code is is code, right? It's just series of inputs and you get outputs. Um, and this idea that we could write a, a script complex enough that it can start to think for itself uh, is, is actually, I think, quite foolish. But perhaps uh, this, this scientific or science fictional idea of, of artificial intelligence is actually something that we have been thinking about incorrectly. And, and maybe it will tend to, in the future, in hindsight, will look back and say that, that Bitcoin was the first ever truly artificial, intelligent life form um, because it seeks its own ends in this way. Yeah. Oh, there's so much to unpack here. Like, I can't even believe that uh, how many things you touched on. <laughs> I'll, I'll go backwards. Um, I, I agree with um, the AI view of Bitcoin. Seyfedin um, said this as well. Um, I, I took Seyfedin's uh, Echo 21 seminar and uh, we discussed some of, of those ideas. And uh, he also said that Bitcoin behaves like an intelligent thing because it just economically speaking, it does the right thing always in a way. And it, uh, yeah, it is smart enough to um, pay people to keep it alive. Uh, let's let's put it like that. Um, I don't believe that AI is bunk. Actually, I studied AI for quite a long time, for multiple years, and I uh, studied machine machine learning as well. Um, I was a, a, a researcher at the computer science university, and um, I did machine not not it, I did future internet stuff and reasoning, <laughs> so making machine think. Ma trying to make machines think. And this was before the machine learning boom. So it, it was a, a, a little bit a, a while ago, but I'm, I still have a deep interest in that. And I still try to keep up with some of the research that's being done. And I disagree that it's just scripts and that uh, computer code can't learn because you have two different ways how you can program a computer. And the first one is the one you talked about. You write a computer program and you execute it. The second one is that you 
build a system that is a blank slate like a baby and you throw data at it and it will learn on its own and that's machine learning for you. And it really does learn like a baby. So if you if you teach a baby the wrong things, then it's just, it gets very stupid. So the data you feed it is kind of important. But if you look at what computers can do nowadays, like with superhuman fa facial recognition, we have, um, we have all the deep fake stuff going on. Like computers can draw better than humans <laughs> can now. And they can dream up faces and they can dream up persons and computers can drive cars better than human than the average human driver and i think that people underestimate how far we are with machine intelligence and machine learning that's that's just an aside but i think it's interesting that you also used religious language to talk about what i just told you you said i i sacrificed uh, a lot of things and i think that's true that people people do sacrifice a lot of their professional life and also um, they sacrifice a lot of things because Bitcoin is so all consuming. And I think I agree with you that it's one of the most important ideas. It's, I think it's the, the great idea of our generation, but it's also a very dangerous idea. And it's, it's kind of dangerous in that way that um, I experienced that firsthand. It, it, cons it consumed me fully and that's not healthy at all. So, um, uh, as you know, I will have a baby soon and this will be my, my break from Bitcoin. So I will <laughs> just take a step back and not let myself consume, be consumed fully by Bitcoin. And the funny thing is that obviously people can be possessed by Bitcoin, but what's not obvious to me is that you can actually possess Bitcoin <laughs> right. because your private key is just a number and possessing numbers is really tricky. Like it's saying, it's, it's like, you know, in, in essence, it's like saying I now own the number three and nobody else knows that owns the number three. <laughs> so it's, it's really funny how Bitcoin can possess people, but people can't really possess Bitcoin. It's just, you know, information asymmetry. Well, and I, and I kind of push back on that idea a little bit because, um, you know, we're, we're used to thinking more concretely when it comes to data and numbers, um, because of our physical existence, you know, like I often think in terms of yeah. like what I can count and what I can see and what I can feel. Um, but when we start talking about, you know, and, and it's funny because we're still talking about real numbers here in terms of like, um, random number generation and, and how big things certain get, uh, how big things can get with cryptography, um, particularly mm -hmm. like in shot 256 and shot 512 and whatever. But mm -hmm. at the same time, when I generate a number cryptographically, assuming that I've done it correctly, that number has, chances are, has never been seen before and will never be seen again. Uh, so in a way, you know, I, I kind of do own that number um, because no one would be able to replicate what I've done uh, in that in that moment. And uh, it, it's different than the way we think about numbers that we're more commonly used to dealing with, like three or four or five, because those numbers are um, discoverable by everyone. Yeah, and it it gets really it gets really metaphysical if you go down that rabbit hole because I I tend to agree with you and I I I I know how big those numbers are and uh, the likelihood, as you said, you know, you're the only person in the universe that ever saw that number. And it's very, very likely that no, 
like nobody else in the whole observable universe will ever see this number again it doesn't matter if aliens exist or not it's like even if the universe would be full of aliens and they all generate numbers like crazy it's still it's still probably only you that saw that number right right <laughs> well, and uh, uh, sorry go ahead and I think what's funny is that you you could theoretically say the same thing about physical things. Like if we if we talk about possessing something, owning something, if you own a very beautiful vase, for example, or just a chair to pick uh, the <laughs> philosopher's example, <laughs> um, the chair is just information as well. So it's just how the atoms are arranged in this chair. And if you're technologically very sophisticated, you could copy the chair perfectly. You just have to take all the all the atoms uh, that are the, that the chair is made up uh, made out of, and you you take the same atoms, just same amount, and you arrange them perfectly in the same fashion, and then you have a perfect carbon copy of the chair, and nobody would know what the original was. Right, right, and and so. um, that's hypothetical, of course, being something that we can't currently do, and. Um, we also don't know if there's other orders of understanding beyond just the arrangement of atoms that, that give a thing its qualities. Um, we, we assume that if we were to take that recipe, if you were, and copy it word for word um, in our own means, that we would, we would have a chair of identical qualities of the previous chair, but there might also be uh, things going on in higher orders or lower orders that we have yet to even unpack. Um, yeah, but then that's why it's an interesting hypothetical, right? Because there's there's so much more layers to the cake than than we can see. Um, yeah, <laughs> but I do want to yeah, mention. <laughs> I kind of want to caveat what I said about the the AI and machine learning. You know, I, I don't so much mean that machine learning in and of itself um, is doesn't work or it doesn't have its uses. Um, so much as I I think to this idea that I think was made popular and. American media and probably other uh, media outside of the U.S. And uh, it's very science fictional, but it's this idea of uh, computers becoming self-aware, seeking means to their own ends, um, defying their programming in in, in a way mm-hmm. that to to somebody who doesn't who understands computer science um, doesn't follow logically. Um, I think that Bitcoin in this way is unique from other attempts at like artificial intelligence and machine learning in that it seeks means to its own ends. Uh, and, and it was designed to do that. I think you could, you could argue, but yeah, yeah that's a, that's an interesting thought. I, I think you're right about that. Um, because the problem with AI, as you point out is, um, how do you, how do you define the goals of the thing of the system of the computer of the robot of whatever and i i would also say that it's not obvious for humans like uh what is your goal as a human that's that's a, like in life in general right. <laughs> it's a very hard question to answer and it's obviously not reproduction because if it would be reproduction you could you would go to the sperm bank when you're 14 or 15 or 13 or whatever and you right. just donate sperm and kill yourself right. or you would have so sex with every woman you saw until you yeah, yeah. were either killed or died yeah from starvation. And, and if like one or two of them is pregnant and just kill yourself because you you made it you know right and uh, so that's obviously not it and that's the question of meaning like i think humans are driven by by meaning first first and foremost in a way and survival of course but if that's taken care of then it's it's basically you try to find meaning in your life and i think with ai we have this 
um, general problem and AI researchers are well aware of that and that's where you come into uh, all the weird examples that AI researchers give for example um, AI is dangerous no matter what even if it's just creating paper clips because if it's a really really good AI it will convert everything in the observable universe to paper clips including humans like it will just transform matter into paper clips and it's it will be unstoppable because it's so smart but it just has the wrong goal <laughs> and uh, I think with as you say Bitcoin is different because yeah I think the goal of Bitcoin is to be secure enough. <laughs> That's basically the goal, <laughs> I would say. I don't know. <laughs> to eat up energy. <laughs> it's real. It's it's an interesting question. I'm not I'm not sure what the goal of Bitcoin is, but it has some goal, and I think it is to secure itself and keep it alive, mm. keep itself alive. Well, and you know, another interesting question too is: Can the vase look at the potter and say, "No, I was. You might have designed me for this, but I'm." I prefer to do this or I'm more well suited to this when, you know, it's the potter who's had the original intentions of what the vase's design was to fulfill. And um, maybe the, depending on the potter's skill level, it might have actually been better suited yeah. for something else in the first place. <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. I, I think we can we can get really cosmic here because um I mean, Bitcoin was, I think it was obvious that Bitcoin was created by, by a human uh, or by humans. I, uh, even though I'm pretty sure that Satoshi Nakamoto was one person. Um, but I don't know. I have no <laughs> inside knowledge whatsoever. But uh, some people wrote about that and, and talked about that Bitcoin is bound to the earth because of the 10-minute block time. And maybe Bitcoin is the one thing that will incentivize humans to leave the Earth's radius for good and just start a second chain on Mars or wherever. And it's, uh, it's a really funny idea. I'm not sure if you could say that, um, to use your example, that that's the vase looking back at the potter. But I would, I would say that Bitcoin in its developmental stages I think it's not a baby anymore. I think it uh, it has reached the child or adolescent stage, and um, just just as with kids, I mean, you can do your best to to um, teach them everything you know, but they will have their own mind after a while, and <laughs> they will just do whatever they want, pretty much. And I think I think that. Bitcoin will be at the stage in the future where we don't really know what the second and third order effects will be, just like with other inventions we had. For example, the second order effect of cars was turning all the cities and uh, connecting all the cities with a road network, and the third order effect was um, changing our atmosphere. And the same with the internet, you know, like the internet was just an information network, but the second and third order effects uh, are now smartphones and everyone is everyone is bound to their smartphone and everyone is uh, having like a surveillance machine slash supercomputer in their pocket. And you could also argue that the side effects of the internet are insane, an insane amount of misinformation and also a danger to democratic systems because you can manipulate the masses so well uh, as we saw with Facebook and Cambridge Analytica and stuff like that and I think Bitcoin's potential Bitcoin has a similar potential for our second and third order effects I don't know if they will be good or bad I think the first order effects of Bitcoin are obviously good but uh, it's it's like people say in the space it's a thing that exists now 
and everyone is trying to make sense of it. Nobody really understands it fully. And we just have to, in my point of view, we just have to try to make the best of it and live in symbiosis with it. Well, isn't it interesting? Um, Because you try to think about how you could stop Bitcoin. And even if you were one of the maintainers of the core code, I don't think you'd be able to do it. Yeah, no, no, no chance. Like I, th- I think stopping Bitcoin. I think those days are behind us. I'm, I'm saying that very hesitantly, and I'm willing to be wrong. But it's the only thing that could really stop it is a very, very coordinated multi-state level attack. I would say, and you have to, ha- you need to have mules everywhere, and it would be like your window of opportunity is so short. Hmm. And even if you would be able to stop it and kill it. Like even if you would be able to do a crazy economic attack on it and uh, and just destroy the the value or and the network grinds to a halt, there are so many copies of the ledger you could just reboot from there. Like fix whatever bug there was or fix the like fix the attack vector and just reboot it again from the ledger state that was saved. And I'm. Yeah, I'm. I think Seyfedin has the right idea that the only way to kill Bitcoin really is to make it obsolete. Mm-hmm. But I would even argue that that wouldn't be enough because Bitcoin is such a big thing now, just like the internet is. I'm pretty sure some museum would have two notes that sent back that sent blocks back and forth and just mine on their own, just because you can do that, and then you can, you know take his cool class to the museum and say, look, that's what's left of Bitcoin. <laughs> right, and, and if it has no value um, to secure, right, because all the value flees elsewhere, then you don't need as much, the difficulty adjusts back down yeah, and exactly. you can suddenly secure the blockchain with a single CPU. Exactly, you, you, you can go back to where Satoshi and Halvini was, you know, first two notes, you can just, <laughs> the difficulty adjustment will kick in at some some point in time and, and it just will adjust down and down and down and then you just have two notes sending blocks back and forth forever. Right, And it, but it's so unlikely, it, for me it's not even really all that interesting to think about. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's very unlikely. <laughs> I think that uh, what Safe is talking about, uh, he wrote a research piece, uh, How to Really Kill Bitcoin, and he's basically talking about uh, building a system, uh, like going going back to the gold standard or um, building a, switching the current system to sound money right. and uh, destroy Bitcoin's economic incentives because you don't have to use it because the default thing that everyone uses is as good or even better than Bitcoin. Right. Well, and you know, any, any well-read, um, even amateur economists should know that uh, the inherent problems with just attempting to go back to a gold standard, I mean, they're really... Is an, is an issue of trust there that is difficult yeah. to solve in the meat space, if you will. Yeah, it's it's insanely difficult to solve. And there is a reason why gold failed. And I think that's, that's why I'm so, <laughs> to use religious language again, that's why I'm so religious about Bitcoin, because I think it's the right idea. And I think we have it now. And I think we only have one shot. Because digital scarcity, creating digital scarcity out of nowhere, it's like a gift from the gods, you know, like the Egyptian, the Egyptians said the same thing about gold. They said that gold is a gift from the gods because nobody knew where it came from and it's just there to be used. And it obviously has ins- insanely good monetary properties, gold that is, 
but Bitcoin has even way better monetary properties. So we just should use it as money. It's the best money we ever had. It's the best, soundest money we ever had. And to top it off, it's also the scarcest money we ever had. Like it's it's the scarcest thing in the universe. It's more scarce than time. And it's it's scarcer than anything else because of yeah, because of the difficulty adjustment, because of the consensus we have that there will only ever be 21 million bitcoins it's nothing is scarcer than that and that's also i think why it's it's something completely entirely new and i think there is a real possibility that in one of the next hype cycles the price just won't go down again because as more and more people realize that that this block space and the amount of satoshis you can have is so strictly limited it it will just be state level FOMO, <laughs> and the price. If 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 we have state level FOMO, the price won't go down again. Yeah. Like <laughs> I agree. I tend to think yeah. that at some point um, there's going to just be a tipping point of realization, e- even if it doesn't happen because the whole world's falling apart. Um, yeah. Or if you look at global markets and you see that most things for the year are up one percent and they're not beating nominal inflation, and you have the option to <laughs> take out debt at the negative rate um, and and you can earn real return with that in this system that just continues to exist uh, outside of traditional finance. Sooner or later, just the amount of wealth that's accumulated in that one system that can't be debased and can't be inflated um, is going to beat out everything else. I mean, the, the, yeah. it's, it's, it's inevitable, it's inevitable. Yeah, I think so too. And I think, I think also the, the time horizon is, I, I think I'm not off by an order of magnitude. I think I I, I will stick to my 10 years. Um, and th- the reason I think that is that it takes time for your understanding to evolve and it just takes time to make sense of it all. And we can see now the very curious people or the lucky people that got in, got in early, they kind of get it now. We have a, a shelling point of understanding that, you know, only Bitcoin is what counts and uh, monetary maximalism makes perfect sense because every money is in competition with every other, other money. People kind of realize now that it can't be stopped and we had the Congress hearings, the Libra hearings in the US where it was said uh, like people there were of the same opinion as we too. It's like Bitcoin can't be stopped and those those who have tried to stop it, they have already failed. And hearing that um, from very official people is is kind of insane because they obviously have studied Bitcoin and they know what they're talking about. And they're, they're kind of waking up to this realization now that Bitcoin is a thing. You can't really stop it. You have to, you will have to adapt to it. And as I said, you will have to, if, if you want to have a good time, you will have to live in symbiosis with it. And if you don't believe in it, <laughs> and if you want to attack it, you're gonna have a bad time, I think. Well, isn't it interesting um, that, you know, in terms of seeing the value potential here, uh, seeing this, the the black hole nature of this protocol, um, it starts out with the most self-actualized people and probably the most intelligent people identifying at first um, what we're seeing now. And I think you might be right in terms of um, your your timeline predictions. And, you know, you could very well be wrong, and I'm certainly not afraid to admit that I'm wrong about anything. Um, but th- there's a certain... You, you see this happen at a sociological level where there's a trickle-down of social trust um, 
most people, people that aren't very self-actualized or probably are on the bottom end of the bell curve in terms of intelligence, um, they're going to look to people that they trust uh, or whose opinions they at least value at a social level uh, for further information on, on what they should think is important, on what they should throw their money at, um, especially when you live in a society where the vast majority of humans' most basic needs are already met, right? I get to eat all my meals. I, I drink plenty of fresh water. I have a roof over my head. I have clothes to wear. I don't have any pressing um, first-order needs that need to be attended to. So I have this excess capital that I can use in other ways, like whether it be entertaining myself or investing for the future or... Um, you know, any number of things. Really, I could give it to a charity, but I wouldn't be giving money to a charity if I couldn't feed myself or if I couldn't clothe myself because that wouldn't make sense. Um, I'd be, but there's this trickle down of social trust that as you start to see some of these people that are at the high orders of of social trust in society start to uh, use Bitcoin and start to talk about Bitcoin, you're going to see a trickle down of interest. Uh, by people who are probably less mm -hmm. self-actualized taking interest in this protocol and, and wouldn't have otherwise if people they trust hadn't begun using it and talking about it. Yeah, I, th I think so too. But I think also this will just be one one tiny step to hyper-Bitcoinization. Um, I think it, like speaking of the time horizon, I'm I'm also, I'm very prepared to be wrong. Like uh, I, it's, it's just guesstimates. I mean, I did some back of the envelope calculations but i think i got the right um order of magnitude like 10 years if even if it's 15 years i i would still consider myself right even if it's 20 years i would still consider myself right uh, it won't take longer than 20 years i don't think it will even though social changes like that they, they take a, a while but um coming back to the example of gay marriage it it happened very very slowly and then all at once and so now gay marriage is legal and normal and I think with Bitcoin, it's even more extreme because with every new wave, new Bitcoiners are born. And there is no biological limit to how many Bitcoiners you usually have. Like um, you, could, you could say that biologically 10% of the population are gay and that's just it. But with Bitcoiners, it's just there's, there's no upper limit, you know, <laughs> like one day you will have. The, the, it's it's just like internet people, you know. There there existed this concept of if you are on the internet, you're just a guy that likes to be on the internet. This concept doesn't exist anymore because we have near full saturation in a way. Like everyone is on the internet all the time, and in like ten or twenty years, everyone will be just a bitcoiner, what we now call a bitcoiner. Use bitcoin for your economic activities. I mean, that's not exactly what we call a bitcoiner. We <laughs> if, when we say bitcoin, we we mean a level of conviction and so on and so forth. But it's just like, if you want to do something for work or something communication related today in the, wor in the world, you will have to use the internet. That's just the way things work. Nobody understands the internet. Like normal people have no idea how the internet works. Not at all. It's just like normal people don't have any idea how cars work. If your car breaks down, you need a mechanic. If your computer breaks down or the internet breaks down, you'll need a specialist. And I think in the future, people will have no idea how Bitcoin works and they will not need to know. I also think they not necessarily have to handle the same things we are currently handling right now like seed phrases and uh, stuff like that and encrypt usd cards and store them somewhere safe and have multiple backups in different locations and take care of multi-signature wallets and stuff like that or do partially signed bitcoin transactions like this is very very low level stuff i think everything will be 
abstracted away. It's just like, you know, email in the 70s was very cumbersome and you had to know what you're doing. <laughs> and nowadays you just, you don't even use email anymore, you use WhatsApp, you know? And I'm not saying that's good or bad because uh, currently in the internet, most people use closed systems and I think closed systems are horrible. But I also think the closed systems will die a natural death because even though Facebook and Google and and Microsoft or whatever are huge companies, they eventually will lose their influence or go out of business or both. And uh, I think that with Bitcoin, since it's an open system, it is bound to win. It's just like Linux was bound to win. Linux is running the whole internet since it's an open system and nobody is using, you know, old Windows servers to run things because uh, suddenly the version you use is not supported anymore or the, the company you had the computer from goes out of business. Mm -hmm. And with with Bitcoin, I still think it, it, it will take a time. So everyone who's listening to this, don't don't get scared. Don't <laughs> like, don't have FOMO. I think you still have 10 years time to stack sets, something like that. It will, I think the waves will continue to happen as they happened, have happened in the past. It will just get more intense. And I think that Bitcoin, the base layer, it won't be interesting in the future. I think I'm a huge believer that, I think Pierre Richard said the same thing as well, that like 95 plus percent of Bitcoin transactions or 99% of Bitcoin transactions will happen on Lightning or similar systems. I believe that, that to be true because the base layer obviously doesn't scale at all. And I think that's fine. I think you can just, it's your anchor of truth. And I think that block space is so insane in this cars that it will only be used for the most important Bitcoin transactions. And that, I mean, that's not my idea. I think everyone who studied Bitcoin long enough has has the same opinion about it. It's just, there's no way to, to scale that meaningfully. So you will have something like Bitcoin banks or something like um, huge, um, yeah, huge lightning channels or constructs, higher level constructs that settle back to the base chain. And as Trace Mayer said, everyone has to onboard on Bitcoin or get Bitcoin one by one. And we're like 7 billion people, so it will take a while. And I agree with that for the next couple of years. But I think that there will be one point in time where huge payment systems and also maybe saving vehicles and other things. I mean, everything is evolving in parallel, like the store of value and medium of exchange and unit of account, all of it is evolving in parallel. And I think that you will have large funds and they will have just some percentage points in Bitcoin and you will have payment systems and suddenly there will be an option. Hey, do you want to settle this transaction on Bitcoin instead of Swift or whatever? And everything will be the same. It will maybe still be dollar as the unit of account, but it will be maybe 5% cheaper to settle it because it just uses lightning. And all of that is, um, for, for me, it's kind of obvious that things like that will happen. And the current system does not have to crash and burn. And to top everything off, there is a real possibility that we will have uh, another recession and another great financial crisis. And then it might happen even quicker. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, watch, uh, I watch global macro pretty closely, but I don't know. Um, I don't know how I don't know how it's going to play out because I can't predict what the powers that be, what strings are going to pull and when, um, and I also can't predict what reaction those actions are going to have because uh, we're our system is so detached from from reality. I call it the zombie economy. 
Um, <laughs> there, there really is no, you know, what I expect to happen doesn't necessarily happen um, because it's so de- been so detached from reality for so long. And, yeah. you know, it's interesting. One of the first things you talked about was uh, the Internet being one of the first truly exponential changes that we saw in our society and you know there were some other technologies i'm sure you know this there were some other technologies before the internet that were also exponentially adopted um Mm -hmm. that that exponentially changed people's lives you know all the way from electricity up until the automobile and microwaves and refrigerators and air conditioning and all those types of things and but uh it seems to me like the internet laid a framework for exponential um changes and and I'm sure a lot of this has to do with, like, like you were saying, how things can be boiled down to data and information. And uh, it, it does make sense. You know, it seems like a natural transition of things. And, and there were cryptographers and computer scientists who predicted in the 80s and 90s that the Internet would one day have its own um, base layer of settlement, right? Because that was the one thing pretty much that the Internet was missing was its own. Yeah. Um, its own money. Right, its own money. But it, it's interesting to me that the internet seems to have laid the framework for these exponential changes uh, that we can witness happen just in in ways that we could have never imagined. I mean, you, you mentioned the smartphone too, and the smartphone's a good example, but there were things that were similar to the smartphone uh, before the interconnectedness of the internet. And I think of yeah. things like PDAs, Right, which really, in and of themselves, weren't that interesting. They they could they had some the functions of a basic computer. Right, you could use a calendar and a calculator and maybe a contact book. Um, yeah. You could potentially use it to make phone calls. But it wasn't until the internet provided this massive access of information uh, that that the that this new technology grew so quickly. And I think. You know, if we were talking about a monetary revolution hap- like this happening in the 1970s before the Internet, it would have taken decades to propagate. Exactly. Um, but but this could very well happen much sooner than any of us expect because yeah. of the way information moves so quickly. Yeah, it could happen almost overnight. And I, th- um, that's one of the reasons why I'm so insanely bullish, because I studied exponentials the last 10 years or something like that. Like I, I studied networks and I studied exponential effects. And I, I was one of those singularity guys um, that study um, exponential technology. And what you said is true, like the Internet is the best example of an exponential technology. But exponentials, exponential technologies go way back. The, it, it was just a very s- slow exponential uh, progress but you had to you had to lay the foundation like um, um, everything moved in the real world before we had the information revolution but uh, train networks for example are also a exponential technology road networks and then you as you said you have electricity before electricity you have even like the telegraph line stuff like that and everything builds up to the internet and i think the next step is bitcoin it's 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 an an overlay network on the internet if the internet would die tomorrow because something better exists that can convey information bitcoin would use that in an instant bitcoin only needs to propagate information it's not important that it's on the internet it can use everything pretty much and i mean the same is true for other network technologies like tcp ip for example we we like it's it's a protocol that um that does information transmission you can do if you want to tcp ip by using carrier pigeons and there is actually an of official um, uh, RFC for that. So people <laughs> thought about that. It, it's kind of a joke, but it would work, you know. Right. It's just really slow and it has a very 
like it has huge lag right. <laughs> but <laughs> but the, the main point i want to get across is that bitcoin is an exponential technology built up on exponential technologies and it benefits from all the exponential network effects that came before it you know that's why the development happens so quickly that's why also the narratives in bitcoin can change so quickly because we have bitcoin twitter now and we have podcasts like this one and people get it instantly like if someone has if, if everyone kind of has the wrong idea like if we misunderstand bitcoin and a new idea emerges that is way better than the old one it takes maybe a week and everyone adjusted you know what i mean <laughs> it's so insane like in the 70s it wouldn't have worked right. because information would travel way too slowly right and i i think just dropping fiat for example i don't know how long it took me but it only took me weeks like it, it wasn't years you know it was like okay bitcoin is obviously the right idea so i will i will just do my best to stay humble and stack sets and have regular voting accidents and and just you know try my best to to help bitcoin get out of the door and i think that's to come back to the very <laughs> early confusing start we had um, that was also part of my realization i think that bitcoin is out of the door i think i think it's fine now i i think i think i, I truly think that hyper bitcoinization is inevitable right. and i i think i'm there are some other people that had this realization but uh it's still a very bold thing to say and i'm still very hesitant because you know i uh, it's a bold thing to say and um usually when you say something like that you're proven wrong instantly <laughs> so i hope i didn't jinx it you know like if bitcoin's dead tomorrow i'm really sorry i will have to hide right, <laughs> everyone's right. gonna kill me <laughs> but i i still think uh, as you said it's as you said like um half an hour ago or so if you if you want to kill bitcoin right now what what would you have to do it's just going through that thought exercise is is really humbling like bitcoin is so insanely strong it's so hard to kill i tried to the last half year the last six months or so i was working on a piece that was called how to kill bitcoin and a week or, or so ago i deleted everything and i just wrote you don't <laughs> because i that, that was my conclusion and the whole piece did make sense like i went through the thought exercise of what would you have to do to kill it actually and it was always global holocaust you would have to kill every single person on the, on the world pretty much you know like that that's how you kill bitcoin so you, your best course of action is that you don't because apocalyptic genocide is it's not a nice outcome so you you we will have to live in symbiosis with bitcoin i don't see any other way right yeah i think it was uh trace mayer said it really well uh, going back to what you said what you said about studying the potentials of exponential movements and uh, how quickly they can happen um trace mayer said not too long ago i think it was on preston pish's podcast he said uh that Bitcoin could go to a million dollars tonight. Like we could all wake up tomorrow and Bitcoin could be worth a million dollars and it might not come down. Um, that probably won't happen, but it, it could. And the fact that someone like Trace Mayer, you know, who's pretty well respected and has been, had a very consistent message for a long time is willing to say something like that publicly without worrying about being afraid of like being called an idiot or a scammer for telling people that Bitcoin's going to a million dollars tonight just goes to show that he understands like the nature of uh, exponential exponential yeah. growth and how yeah. it, it it is a possibility right that this thing could move that quickly overnight and yeah. 
life would just go on. Um, yeah, you'd have to like fit into one, the new paradigm. It's it's one news item. It's one headline away. It's just you know imagine what would happen if uh, one central bank would publicly say that they are dropping gold and switching to Bitcoin. I mean, all hell would break loose, and you you would have a million dollar Bitcoin pretty much instantly. I'd say. <laughs> Right. I mean, the, ch the chance of that is a little bit slim to none, but still, uh, it's, it's <laughs> stuff like that could happen. Hmm. Yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah, that's how I see it. And there's for me, I think there's no going back. Like I, I had this realization. I was always kind of unsure and and very hesitant, and I was like, yeah, ninety percent sure about that, and eighty-five percent sure about that. I'm now 99.99% sure that first of all, Bitcoin is the right idea. And second of all, that it's it's too late already. Like it's it's unstoppable. It's an unstoppable idea. And that was my main realization. It's first and foremost, it's an idea. Like Budion said, Bitcoin is just information. And in a free society, you cannot outlaw information because information is speech. You could like, if you, if you wanted to, you could just print Bitcoin on a, on a t-shirt, like the, the code itself. And you could make up rituals, like what the computers are currently doing now, like uh, modifying data, finding hashes and so on and so forth. You could do it with pen and paper and you could do it in, in any way. Like if America outlaws Bitcoin, you could do the same as they did in the, in the crypto wars and just print it in a book and export the book. And that's how Bitcoin works. Like Bitcoin is just information. And I, I see it as just an idea. And I see it as an unstoppable idea because the idea got turned into code and the code is unstoppable now for all the reasons we outlined. And yes, it's also a social movement. And yes, it's a monetary revolution. And yes, it's a financial revolution. Um, I can't remember who said it, but it's it's true that Bitcoin is, um, it's, it's like pieces of super gold flying through an unstoppable PayPal. And I remember still the quote, but I, I can't remember who, who said it. It was maybe, yeah, I think it was Murad. Yeah, I think it was Murad. Um, and it's all of that is true, but I think first and foremost, it's an unstoppable idea. And luckily for us, I think it's the right idea. You know, I think Bitcoin truly will usher in a second renaissance and it will the, make the world a better place to use that damn phrase. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I, I hope that that's true. I, I yeah, really I'm, I, and I'm, I'm speaking as someone who was really disappointed by the internet in a way. Like I'm, I'm still a huge proponent of the internet and we have things like Wikipedia and uh, free and open source software and stuff like that. But the internet is, not only good for the world i and i think the same will be true for bitcoin we will have we will have negative effects as well i'm i'm certain about it yeah. but i think i think as with the internet like i think the internet was a net benefit to humanity and i think bitcoin is also a net benefit to hum to humanity no matter what happens yeah i think i agree i think uh you know you could you could make the same argument about just about any technological advancement that we've made on this planet i mean yeah. the automobile right net benefit but there are some drawbacks right a lot of people die in car yeah. accidents and we have to burn a lot of gasoline to make them work um yeah you could make that argument for just about anything i think yeah i think so too well i think that we just covered a lot of uh pretty deep stuff anything else you want to hit on no, not really. I think that's that's all I, I had in me. But I think ending on the note that Bitcoin will be a net benefit to humanity and that it's unstoppable is a nice place to end it. Yeah, I think that those are some good axioms to work from. <laughs>
Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, go ahead and plug your Twitter so anybody who's listening. Oh, can sure. Yeah, if you if you want to follow along with crazy thoughts like that, I'm DareGG on Twitter, D-R-G-I-G-I. And I also have uh, DareGG.com and 21Lessons.com. And I also curate a list of Bitcoin resources on Bitcoin-resources.com. And I have like two or three other projects I'm working on. So stay tuned. There will be more Bitcoin stuff uh, coming out from, from my side. All right, guys. Welcome back. Hope you enjoyed the talk with Gigi. Interesting dude. Super smart. But uh, that conversation got a little bit more out there than some of the conversations we like to have around here. But I don't mind that at all. And especially if you guys like it, I will continue creating more content like that. A quick note of attention for any of my regular listeners that might have a CASA node. It was originally brought to my attention due to some security researchers on Twitter that the CASA node might not be 100% secure or in fact uh, pretty much has some critical security flaws that are until they're addressed these people are advising that you don't store any Bitcoin on a CASA node so if that's you and you have a CASA node just consider that any money you leave on it you are exposing to any potential would-be attacker based on some pretty elementary uh, security mistakes so um, keep an eye out on that and, and watch to see you know, if and when CASA releases some security updates that fix those issues, uh, I would maybe consider moving your Bitcoin off the CASA. But again, that's on you. You know, just keep in mind that there are security risks there uh, that you're taking if you're leaving any Bitcoin on your CASA node, which is a hot wallet. Also, guys, don't forget, if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can find me at Heavily Armed C. That's the letter C. And you can find all the episodes of the Bitcoin Echo Chamber either at our website, BitcoinEchoChamber.com, or you can find us on pretty much any of your favorite podcasting services. If you want to support the show, you can reach out to me through email at bitcoinechochamber at gmail.com. I do accept sponsorships, but I have some pretty stringent qualifications for sponsorships, so you can email me if you want to pitch whatever it is that you want me to talk about on the show. Or if you just want to support me directly, you can uh, do it through Anchor. Donate to me through Tippin on Twitter, which is just a lightning tipping service. I don't expect any financial compensation for the show. I mostly just do it for fun to help educate people and to get to talk to cool Bitcoiners. But if I can make some money from doing it, that's pretty cool too. Anyways, guys, don't forget to follow Gigi. Check out 21 Lessons. That's a great resource. And check out Bitcoin-only.com, one of the best places to find resources about Bitcoin pretty much of all varieties. That's all I got for this one, and I will see you guys in the next one.